0: Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing. The Badgers back on track, Jesse, to an extent. To an extent. They got blown out in Indiana, but came back home, got Tyler Wall back, got those black uniforms on, and beat Penn State 63 to 60 withstood uh, a couple of three-pointers late from uh, Penn State or attempts I should say to get the win and uh, moved to four and three a much-needed win snapped a three-game losing streak they're now four and three in Big Ten play and obviously I think the the main story I think around the game probably there. I mean there are actually a couple because uh, your boy Connor Asijan got the start right so the the fan club Revving up. I got a text from you surprisingly about uh, basketball, like before the game. Usually, we you know we'll text during the game, but like before the game, Connor Sejan starting lineup. Oh my god! Uh, So got that going. Uh, Jordan Davis obviously coming off the bench. Max Klesmick gets injured, so he has to play a little bit more. We'll get into all of it. We'll get into your Twitter questions as well. We'll hit on uh, some of the topics that have been talked about (laughs) in different places. Apparently, people are still wanting to talk about. The crowd of the Kohl Center, I don't know <laughs> why they want to talk about Greg Gard and whether he deserves to have a job, I guess. So there, there are a lot of things that are on the, uh, you know, periphery of what happened on Tuesday night. But let's start with what happened on Tuesday night. Wisconsin did get a win. They did beat Penn State, as I said, 63 to 60. <clears throat> Tyler Wall back in the game. He wasn't perfect by any stretch, uh, obviously. It was three for ten from the field, uh, three, from six, uh, three for, uh, for six from the free throw line. So it wasn't like he came back and had a like a great game, but there were little things here and there. I think specifically in that ten to two run to open the second half, where he had the steal and the the drive, you know, went coast to coast with the drive. But there were a lot of different little things that you see what Tyler Wall can do. Where did you notice the biggest difference with Tyler Wall on the floor and back in that lineup?
1: Well, to be honest, I think it's what it means for the rest of the lineup and the rest of the rotation. Um, Because, again, the the stat line isn't going to jump out to you. Three for ten from the field. He has ten points, five rebounds, two assists, a turnover, and a block. Obviously, he had a a key steal. But he also, to me, the number is 32 minutes. You get 32 minutes out of a starter who can defend multiple positions, who wants the ball in his hands, who understands this offense. And those are 32 minutes that aren't going to people who – aren't starters, frankly. So I'm just keeping it.
0: Yeah, no, you were looking for a nice way to say that. And I think you did a pretty good job of it.
1: I'm just trying to keep it real here, you know, for all the listeners in, in this conversation. Um, they're 0-3 when he's not in the lineup. They're 12-2 and when he is in the lineup. That says all you need to know about his value. Um, and as we've talked multiple times, you look at the front court, and and I just don't know that you can say there is Big Ten level starter quality there. Um, when Tyler isn't available and I mean, Carter Gilmore, again, serves a lot of credit for what he's been able to do, but Tyler wall, it's, it's obviously a, a different level of play. And so that to me is the number that stands out the most. And it certainly wasn't pretty. I thought Penn state, they were looking for their first win in Madison. And what was it? 27, 28 years since before the Cole center existed. It's been uh, a while. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, the mean, are, I thought this the Col- was going to be the one potentially, and it wasn't.
0: Yeah, the Cole Center just celebrated its 25th mm-hmm. birthday. Uh, the night of that game, actually. Yes. And uh, I believe they're the only team that hasn't won there.
1: It's uh, it's that's a preposterous stat, but perhaps tells you more about where Penn State basketball has been. But this was a game Wisconsin very easily could have lost, um, trailed at halftime, and managed to make just enough big plays. And as you said at the start of the second half, Tyler was in the mix, gets a big bucket to put Wisconsin ahead by a point that's part of a 7-0 run. And then he has that straight on three, which obviously he's not known for, for making three pointers, but that gave Wisconsin a four point lead. And so he was just sort of in the mix and, and helped Wisconsin win. And obviously that is one to me, it's one a and one B of the biggest storylines about this game.
0: That's one a and one B.
1: Well, that's one a and one B oh, okay. is uh your which boy. I'm sure we'll get to. Yes. Yeah, your boy.
0: No, Uh, you know, getting Tyler back, Carter Gilmore played 13 sorry, minutes, played 13 minutes, Yep. had two rebounds. That's what I, I, you're probably going to need maybe more from at some point, I guess. I don't know. Uh, foul trouble is going to pop up. That's just is what can, is what going to happen. And he's essentially the top backup at both center and uh, behind Tyler. So he's going to play, but they rolled the starters the other night heavily. And 14 minutes is, I think, as you said, um, is a good spot. Good spot. It's better than thirty-three and or thirty-plus, which is kind of what he was being forced to do. And that's not his like that's not his fault that he's he's no you know, not a guy that can play 33 you know thirty some odd minutes. Like that's that's not his fault. That's just what Wisconsin needs at this point. So he gave them what they what they needed, and and Tyler Wall back in the lineup gave them more than what they needed. So we'll get to Connor season in a second. I love so much about Tyler Wall's game. I still can't understand the struggles around the basket Um, because. <laughs> Last year, he was so good, and I've compared it to Ethan Happ at times, just kind of getting the ball up on the rim soft and letting it you know find its way. And for a variety of reasons, he hasn't been able to do that. He got blocked a couple times, the ball just gets thrown up there a little bit too hard. and, and you know there's bad bounces here and there, but if he was anywhere close to where he was last year, it'd be such a better uh, offense than they are right now.
1: It's pretty wild because he went two for nine on two pointers against Penn state. And I'm willing to give him a little leeway. You got to knock the rust off. Even for a high level athlete, you miss three games right in the middle of the season with an injury, but it's been a theme throughout the season. And he's he's 43.6% on two pointers. And let's be honest, a lot of those two pointers pretty darn close to the basket. It's not like he's the type of player who's going to be firing up mid range or long jumpers with his toe on the three point line. He's in the paint. So you would like, a higher percentage finishing obviously he's capable of he, of it he's had some outstanding games where he's able to take over i mean he had, you know he's had a 23 point game against kansas 21 point game on the road against iowa but you need that a little bit more consistently
0: yeah and he's got the ability that's the thing like we know he's he's got the ability to do it and it's just i think it's probably maddening for a lot of people I, you're the basketball guy can you put your finger on why exactly it hasn't look that way total amateur here it just feels like sometimes he doesn't play through two feet sometimes there's a lot of off balance and he gets knocked around and doesn't you know and doesn't get a necessarily great look he gives himself the best look i should say doesn't give himself the best look
1: i think that's fair i think you know he plays a position where sometimes he can be matched up against very physical players very long players and sometimes he has a mismatch but you've got to finish through contact. And sometimes it does sort of feel like he gets close and he flips it up. And it's, it's not as high percentage as you would think it should be from that close to the basket. And maybe this is who Tyler is. And it's a pretty darn good player, obviously, but something that if Wisconsin wants to thrive here in the next couple of months, he's got to be one of those guys who leads them and him finishing at the basket is a big part of that. Yeah.
0: And I, we, we've seen him do it in the past. So it's, it's not like he can't do it. We know he can no, do it. Absolutely. And, uh, right. And uh, I, you know, for Wisconsin's sake, they got to hope that it, that it does end up being that way. Because if with it, the way that Stephen Crow's playing inside, and if you were able to get the same kind of, not the same kind of production, but, you know, get a little bit higher percentage around the basket from Tyler Wall, it's a pretty darn good post duo that you have, would have with those two. So we'll see. Uh as he gets healthier, he's not fully healthy, obviously, still with the ankle. And he, he was asked about it afterwards. And it was a very short answer. Just said, it's getting better every day. And we're, hopefully it's going to get better as we go through and just what it's going to be. So we'll see. I, I, I don't imagine he's going to miss time with the ankle again. But it's it's not all the way back to where it was before uh, the Minnesota game. Uh, as you mentioned, or as I mentioned, and then you confirmed, the other big story of the night was Connor Asijin getting his first career start. Greg Gard said afterwards he earned it after everything that he did. I mean, you think I had to double check this, the the stat sheet when I heard 14 points and 11 rebounds against <laughs> Indiana. You know, I mean, a guy like that getting 11 rebounds and it speaks to the effort. It speaks to you know the the want to and all that good stuff that comes along with it in the fight. And I think that's part of it, obviously. And his shooting ability is is part of it too. But he gets in, and uh, I mean, he had, he was he was fine uh, offensively. 10 points, went two for four from deep. Penn state's a really te- hard team to guard the way that they run their offense and some of the ball screens and switches. And uh, there was some confusion there. And I don't want to blame it all on Connor. Uh, Greg guard seemed to think he did just fine, but what did you think of his performance overall? I thought there was a lot of good and, and then also some of why we haven't seen him all the time.
1: Yeah, I think, We've talked before about, well, would, would Greg Gard ever consider making a move where you take Jordan Davis out of the starting lineup and put Connor siege in? And we're idiots. Yeah. <laughs> well, the conversation centered on, okay, Connor may be a better offensive player, but you lose something defensively. Um, obviously Greg, who's with these guys and practice every single day, saw enough to make the change. And I, I think the trade-off that you get is worth it in my mind, even if there is a slight drop-off defensively. Um Connor's just so aggressive offensively. He sort of comes in and he's just got no conscience. He's willing to take big shots. And if he doesn't make it, he'll continue to take it. And so I think the trade-off is is clearly worth it. And to me, you just look at the two games before, which it's the totality of the season, not two games. But I think it's indicative of why you had to make this change. Because Jordan Davis starts those two games. I'm talking about losses against Michigan State and Indiana. And he plays 36 total minutes. He takes four shots, misses all of them, doesn't score a single point. Those same two games, Connor comes in, plays 61 minutes. Obviously, he's getting the the lion's share of the minutes off the bench. Nine for 20 from the field, 27 points in those two games. It's just too much to ignore. So, to me, it comes down to whatever whatever liability or di- differentiation there is between Davis being a better defensive player than Connor. It's made up for on the other end, and it's not like Connor is a poor defender. It's just, he's a freshman. He's needs to obviously go get in the weight room and become more physical like every freshman, but it's a, it's a trade-off that's well worth it. And and just look at the numbers. Even if he doesn't have a great night shooting per se, he's, I mean, he's averaging double figures. He's you go look at the bench, the guys coming off the bench in the big 10 and, and Connor's as good as it gets right now.
0: Uh, Brandon Harrison from the Wisconsin sports information department tweeted this out. And it's, it's about Chucky and Connor. They're both shooting over 45% from three this season. Connor's at 45.6. Chucky's at 47.8. A Wisconsin player hasn't shot over 45% with a minimum of 55 attempts since Josh Gosher back in 2012. And they have two of them doing it. And both of them have well north of 55 attempts. Chucky's at 73 and Connor's at 79. So what Connor gives you offensively is something that we haven't seen in quite some time. And so you, you have to be able to – you have to be willing to play that and, and deal with some of the other things, as we've talked about all year. I will say, what was your favorite Connor Asijan moment? I, I'll i be honest. It was the play – for me, it was the play that they drew up out of the timeout coming in, late in the second half where they they got him loose from the wing and he drilled the three-pointer. I think it put him up four. I think yeah. Penn State came back down and hit a three of their own. But uh, it was – I thought that was a – first of all, it was a great play called up by Greg guard And – great execution and connor hit a huge shot and he's not he doesn't shrink from the moment you know what i mean like he doesn't he for a freshman he doesn't blink whatsoever not, you have to love that and i think that comes along with being a great shooter is you think every shot is going in i've never had that kind of confidence in anything i've ever done but connor is the dude is as confident as it gets
1: yeah well it says a lot that you draw up a play for the freshman in a critical moment like that and you're absolutely right that was with the three from the left wing, there were three minutes left, and it gave Wisconsin a 61-57 lead. There, there's a couple other plays that stand out to me, but that was the biggest one. I mean, he made the first three, and they, the camera flashed on him, and he just had the biggest smile on his face. Like, he just loved being out there. He loves getting buckets. And the other one is when he got the steal and the dunk with about 20 seconds left in the first half, um, Yeah, um, brought Wisconsin to within four. But as far as the biggest play, the most critical, and, Yes, they're all critical in a one-possession game, but that three with three minutes left is the one where it's like, that's why that guy's out there, because he's an incredible three-point shooter, and if he gets a look, you feel pretty darn good about it.
0: Uh, Wisconsin played much of the game switching, right? And sw- Penn State's a tough team to cover. Greg Gard knew that coming in. It's a little bit uh, different offense than they normally see, so there was a lot of ball screens and a lot of switching and all that. The last minute uh, of the game, they did not switch. They just, they chased. And what did you think of Connors chasing uh, on Funk? Funk got two looks, right? He got the yeah. one from the left wing and then he got one, you know, late, obviously falling away from the basket at, at the buzzer. What did you think of his defense in those two situations?
1: Well, the left wing one was pretty open, right?
0: I, I, I thought it like initially I thought it was a good contest, but then you watch it on replay and um, I mean, it's, it's a solid look, especially for that guy. Yeah, because uh, of some of the shots that he hit that night.
1: The, this the second one was a tough long look. Um, it's as good a look he, as you're
0: probably going to get, though, right? Like in that yeah, situation,
1: right? Because they they called timeout. There were four point seven seconds left, and he obviously had to get a three off. Sometimes you get lucky. So I mean, sometimes <laughs> you do. Sometimes you do everything right, and the other team still finds a way to score. And other times they're open, and and that's a guy Funk, who before those two missed threes was three for six. He had 16 points was their second leading score in the game in Penn state's case. That's exactly who you would want to have the ball uh, in his hands. And and they didn't go in Um, to me, the most critical defensive play. And and perhaps this is obvious, but 53 seconds left Chucky's all the way on the other side of the floor. And he slides in just an absolutely brilliant defensive play. Once again, showing why Chucky is one of the most valuable players to this team because of how he can change the game when he doesn't even have the ball. He gets over there and he draws the charge, and if he's not there or if he's moving, the guy's going to the line or he's getting a dunk, and that was an absolute game-changing type of play. It was critical.
0: Yeah, I, I watched that a bunch of times because I was like, where did he come from? And he came you're I know, right, he came, came from, out of nowhere. <laughs> all the way at the other side. And, I mean, it's a, it's a great play. I, and it's one I don't, again, I maybe it's a question that you'd have to ask Greg Gardner or somebody. That's not something you teach, right? That's got to be a feel thing knowing kind of your, the situation and and feeling like, gosh, I'm going to leave my guy over here, a Penn state team that shoots the ball from three as well as almost anybody in the country and take a chance and go here and make a play. And I mean, it's uh, Greg called it a a veteran play and he's, you know, Chucky's only a sophomore, but, I, I don't recall too many guys at Wisconsin would, that would make that type of play.
1: Yeah. Obviously as a coach, you teach help defense, but where he that's, came from, has, it yeah, was I, like, I understand. Instinctual. I understand,
0: yeah. I mean, I understand help defense, but that is, I, I feel like that was above and beyond.
1: Yes, it was, it was an outstanding play. And again, in a situation like that, you absolutely have to have it. It was just, it was huge. And that's, that's why Chucky is so valuable to this team. and, I feel like every other game we're talking about something like this, where he gets a steal um, in the last minute, where he's drawing a charge. This is part of the DNA of, of Chucky Hepburn and and why he's so good.
0: Yeah. Michael Shrewsbury called uh, the Penn State coach called the two charges. Cause he picked up one earlier in the, earlier in the, in the second half, uh, the plays of the game. Uh, he said, if they, you know, collected themselves and, blah 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 and 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 got a basket there or got to the line or whatever it was going to be the game would have been different. And he's not probably not wrong. Those were those were two huge plays by Chucky underneath the basket. Before we move on from from Connor, do you think he should stay in the starting lineup?
1: Yes, I do. He's been he's been the most consistent and I understand the idea of well you want to have somebody coming off the bench that gives you a spark that you know is going to be a spark, but why not have that spark in the lineup? That's going to get, give you 33 minutes. Like if he's going to play 33 minutes off the bench, he should be in the starting lineup. And and I think the other thing that we should say is um, my eyes are now on Jordan Davis and how he responds. And he did end up playing 29 minutes and a large part of that had to do with Max Klezman suffering the the injury, the elbow to the face where he was bleeding and, That was another weird sequence, by the way, where the referees didn't see it. I mean, Penn State's bench gave him a towel and somehow they were able to come all the way down the floor and get a bucket. But uh, but the point I'm trying to make is a lot of this now, I think if this does continue and I see no reason to believe why it wouldn't is on Jordan. And how are you able to respond? Because this is not an easy situation. Um, No matter what people say about it's not who starts, it's who finishes or or like it means a lot to be a starter. You work your ass off your entire career to put yourself in a position like this, and then to have it taken away, or, I mean, that's not even the right phrasing because again, Connor earned it. you got to pick yourself up off the mat because he's still going to be a key contributor. And if this is the lineup that holds, then he now becomes the top guy off the bench for Wisconsin. Yes. So now he is in that role. (laughs) Um, and he didn't shoot the ball great, but he he did have a really big bucket with about four and a half minutes left. He made a mid range J to give Wisconsin a three point lead. And so it's on him now to, to figure out how he wants to respond. And, and he's still going to have plenty of opportunities, even if it means he's not in the starting lineup and hearing his name called before the game.
0: And I was going to, that was going to be max. Next question was how did you think Jordan Davis responded? And you obviously answered that already, but I feel like the injury to max Klesman kind of made it easier for him because mm-hmm. if, if, if max is playing, then he's not getting the 29 minutes that he got right Correct. like he's 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 not playing as much against uh against Penn State than he did i'm interested to see what it looks like when he's getting 16 minutes 18 minutes 20 minutes whatever it is how does he react then i i did find it um i don't want to say fascinating but very interesting that right after the final buzzer cuz jordan davis got the ball off the uh, off the miss and went down the court and the first guy to grab him after the buzzer was Connor Sejan gave him a huge hug. So I, you know, I think Jordan, I don't, I think, I think Jordan will handle it well, but we don't know how it's going to all play out until it actually ends up playing out. Um,
1: right. Have you and ever been in very, that situation? Where I lost my starting spot? Uh, yes. <laughs> and and like how difficult is it? Um, I don't know if I'm the person to be giving words of wisdom here on, uh, on, I'm sure you had to do great. I uh, <laughs> this is this this is a conversation that that might get off the rails. I'd keep it short. My my junior year, um, I uh, I was a backup point guard, and then in the middle of the season, our coach draws on the whiteboard right before the game, the new starting lineup, and he's like, "We're going to make a change. No big deal," is what he said, and um, what that meant was I went from being the backup point guard to the third string point guard, and while it uh-huh. may have been no big deal to anybody else. It was a massive deal to me and no one ever had a conversation with me. And I went six straight games without playing a single minute. You can see this is something that obviously (laughs) has not stuck in my craw in any way, despite the fact that this was like 17 years ago. Um, And I was I was just awful. I was awful in practice. I was uh, not somebody that anybody wanted to be around. I handled it horribly. Um, But that was my junior. And then senior year, I think I started the fourth game of the season and I started the next like 14 games and then lost my starting spot for a few games. Um, by then, the season was basically over. We were horrible that year. We went 5-18. and 18. I think I started the last three. But yes, the sh- to answer your question, I have had this happen. I handled it horribly, and I'm sure Jordan will handle it a heck of a lot better than I did.
0: <laughs> oh, young Jesse Temple.
1: Um, All I wanted to do was play, man. I wasn't trying to win national championships. I went to a D3 school that wasn't very good. I just wanted to get minutes and some buckets.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I think it's going to be, I I do think it's going to be interesting. And we'll see. Maybe Max is going to miss time. Greg didn't have an update on him after the game, other than to say that he ended up needing stitches. It must have been a pretty serious thing. Max Max seems like a pretty tough guy. So I feel like if it was just a, a stitch or two, he would have been back in. But
1: why did they not stop the game? They didn't see it. That's the only explanation that I can give, even though everybody else saw it. He was bleeding uh, all over the floor. I know. It was a weird sequence, no, no doubt about it, and it obviously cost Wisconsin two points.
0: It's, it's weird because, like, against Michigan State, the guy gets elbowed or elbowed in the in – I don't even know if it was on that exact play, but he, he starts bleeding, and Crowell's, like, right on the block and right about to go put up a basket, and they, they stop the game. And they get you know, there's blood. It was an unfortunate thing for Wisconsin. And then this time around, he's out there for like a minute and a half bleeding all over the place. And you can see how upset he was like he was yelling at yelling at the official when they finally did stop play. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you don't see that because it took like 10 minutes to clean up the blood. Blood was everywhere. So hopefully for his sake, it's not a big deal. Um, And it's not, well, I mean, it's, it's obviously a big deal anytime you need stitches and um, are missing uh, an extended period of time in a game, but hopefully it's not something that is going to keep him out an extended period of time. By the time you listen to this, we'll probably already know, but um not having him out there affects them defensively significantly. He's, I mean, he's the Tyler wall of, of the backcourt, right? I mean, he can defend a bunch of different type of players, bigger, smaller He's, he can do it. So uh, not having him in on the on the court, I thought, certainly uh, was a factor.
1: I think that's a good way to put it, being the Tyler Wall of the backcourt, because he does a lot of things that you don't necessarily see. And again, when he's not in the lineup, that changes the rotations for everybody. Now Jordan ended up getting a lot more minutes. We saw more from Isaac Lindsay. Um, Kamari McGee played three minutes, but it changes what you're able to do from a backcourt perspective.
0: I will say it, it has forced them to play some guys that, the, the injury to Tyler and obviously the, the max uh, issue. And um, it's, it's forced them to play some guys that otherwise wouldn't get a ton of minutes. I think we talked about this last week and you would hope that it benefits them down the line and we'll, we'll see if it, if it ends up doing so. But I mean, what do you, I mean, uh, like maybe we should, probably should at least mention what Penn state was able to do. It felt like one-on-one a lot of the time, didn't it to you uh, with the, uh, just the backing down of various defenders by uh, Jalen Pickett. It just felt like, give me the ball, get out of the way, and I'm just going to back these guys down. And whether it was wh- whether it was Isaac Lindsay or was it, whether it was Chucky, whether it was Connor, like it just felt like, get the matchup that you want, and then I'm going to back these guys down one-on-one.
1: For the most part, it was pretty successful. Um, I think another aspect of this game that is worth mentioning too, because we, we were praising Stephen Crowell in the last show, he did not have a very good game against Indiana. I know we're not really focusing on the Hoosiers game, but that that um, didn't
0: happen. I don't even know what that game
1: is, but it just sort of manhandled at times. And to me, it it was uh, sort of the difference between a really good college player and uh, Trace Jackson Davis, somebody who's NBA (laughs) material. I mean, he he had (laughs) Jackson Davis had three separate plays where he took the ball, made a dribble and dunked. Two of them were on Crowell um, and one of them was on Chris Hodges, but I thought Steven did an excellent job of bouncing back is the point that I'm making. He ends up with a double, double 21 points, 11 rebounds. And once again, it's the willingness to want the ball in critical situations and the strength that he's demonstrating. And it's not only strength, it's toughness. And one play in particular stood out most to me. There was about five and a half minutes left, like maybe five forty, and Steven gets the ball inside and he knocks over Miles Dredd, not a small dude. Um, I know Steven has a height advantage in oftentimes, but knocks him over and gets a bucket to give Wisconsin a two-point lead. And to me, that was a play that sort of epitomized what Steven has become. But for all the guys that we're talking about, I think he deserves a shout-out for the way he responded, to get a double-double, and he's really, other than that Indiana game, has been the man here of late for Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, three games of 20 or more points in the last six, second half. Crowell. I don't know. maybe we need to come up with a better nickname than that. Um, but thirteen of the twenty one came in the second half. and you're right. he Penn State wasn't a big team, uh, especially when they lost their big uh, to foul trouble. So he was able to take advantage of that. And I think in past years, I shouldn't even say past years earlier this year, he wouldn't do that. You know, he wouldn't he's he wouldn't be as uh, decisive and call for the ball and demand the ball. And my only issue with anything that Steven did the other night other than, maybe his foul shooting, which has been a concern for a lot of the team at points this year. My only, my only issue would be, and it's not even Steven's fault, him not touching the ball on any of the last two possessions.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: And I, and I get, you know, Tyler had the matchup that he wanted and he it looked the, the first, the first one, he got a good look, but I, I mean, I'm just, I'm giving the ball to Steve now at this point. Right. I mean, I, I especially the way that he was able to take over in the second half. I'm I'm trying to get him as many post touches as possible and I think I, I don't know this but I wonder if, you know, when they go back and look at it, maybe they would have liked to have gotten the ball in his hands. You know, it's all uh revisionist here at this point, but that'd be my only comment on on Steve that would be negative and it's not even his fault.
1: Yeah. And from a big picture perspective, I think the free throw thing is very real here and it makes me wonder whether if you're an opposing coach, you never want a player or a team to rack up fouls, but if you get in a spot where You just can't defend him because he's getting buckets. Send him to the line. He's in The last five games, he's four for 12 from the free throw line. And I realize that's sort of a small sample size where you get two free throws here, four free throws here. But that's the one area where if you're having issues with him, send him there and you might end up stealing some points in a game. You know, what's
0: funny about that, though, is he was actually a a pretty solid free throw shooter last year. I mean, he was Mm -hmm. an 80% free throw shooter last year.
1: It's pretty weird. This happens. It's, it's really weird how this it's happened a lot of too. Wisconsin too. Yes. Obviously the
0: Nigel prime example
1: is Ryan Evans from, from oh, way back yeah,
0: when with that the too. jump shooting free throw that too. But I mean, bigs that shot it somewhat well earlier in their career and mm-hmm. then could not hit the broadside of the barn later in there. I mean, that, that's, that's not fair, but, um, Nigel Hayes went from like a, a 70 some odd percent free throw shooter into the fifties. And it just didn't make any sense. Ethan Happ always made sense because he just, that was just never his thing. Um, but yeah, Stephen and he's shooting a lot more free throws this year than he was last year. So I, I, that's also part of it, but going from 80 to right now, he's shooting 59.6, not ideal, not great, not great. All right, let's get into, uh, some of these twitter questions we'll start with this one uh, it was something that was talked about after the game um jdu asked why does Gard choose not to foul when up 3 defending the last possession and they tried to foul or they the intention was to foul but the way that i think penn state went about it made it very difficult to get that foul because you don't want to risk fouling the three point shooter right so when it's when the the initial play is to get the ball to the guy that's going to shoot it, it's it's kind of a tough play to make, right? And all the best you can do is kind of just put a, put a hand up in that situation. Or am I wrong?
1: No, I think you nailed it. Every situation is a little bit different and every coach has a different style, but um, that was sort of a unique circumstance because the very worst thing you want to do is to tell somebody to foul and he fouls the guy on the shot and either he gets three free throws or God forbid the shot goes in and all of a sudden you're down by one. So If you can make it a contested shot, which it was not the easiest of shots, you know, that's that's an okay spot to be in.
0: Yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a great look, but it also wasn't a horrible one either. Like, you Mm -hmm. you know, right. Um, Especially for that guy. Um, Tim says, does guard think he can teach size and length? Pickett had a field day with the log jam of 6'1 to 6'4 guys guard is recruiting. Indiana's point guard was bigger than our one through three. Do we even have a small forward outside of a wall Wall and crowd? We feel like D2 school size right now. Our backup center is 6'7 for crying out loud. <laughs> There's no question in there other than does guard think he can teach size and length?
1: You cannot teach size and length. You can recruit size and length. I mean look, we've talked many times about particularly as it relates to the front court. I don't think like if you were building a team and you were looking at front court guys to come off the bench, you would probably want a little bit more out of what you have. Um, but this is college basketball and that's not necessarily how it always works. And this is the lineup that they have. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even sure what to say about that. Like there are deficiencies with this team. There's no doubt about it. And yet, They do a lot to help overcome those deficiencies and and they're 12 and five right now, which would be better if Tyler wall wasn't hurt, but I can understand why that would be upsetting, but I think they're of higher quality than division two. Trust me. They tried
0: to add size in the, in the off season. It just didn't happen. They tried and trying to get guys to come in and be backup players is not easy. And so when you lose a Ben Carlson and a Matthew Moores and, and Chris Hodges, isn't ready. This is the the kind of the situation that you run into. So, it's not ideal. And yes, Greg Gard obviously and his coaching staff have to have to own that, and then you know find a way around it. And right now they're they're uh, doing their best to try and find a way around it. We see how difficult that can be when you don't have a Tyler Wall uh, in the lineup. Uh, that kind of goes to this next question. Ian asks: uh, Wall is so critical to what Wisconsin does. Who do you think steps in next year?
1: Oh, my. Uh, Probably a transfer portal (laughs) addition.
0: I'll I'll say this. Uh, I think that that question is still open for debate in terms of whether Tyler is here. Yes,
1: that's that's a fair point as well. Obviously, it's the middle of the season now, but since he was a part of that 2020 season, would have an extra year. And I think we've discussed this as well. To me, he's in a situation similar to Brad Davison, where this is a player who's a quintessential college player who is not an NBA prospect and therefore what's the rush other than maybe you want to move on with your life um, that potentially you would come back because why not take advantage of the best years of your life? But that remains to be seen.
0: It does. The thing about him, just like Brad is he's, he didn't register. So it's not like he would be sticking around for a sixth year. It would be a fifth year. So I kind of think that does make a little bit of a difference. I remember when we talked to Brevin Pritzel mm-hmm. after during the 2020 season, uh, when there was talk about whether some of the seniors would get an extra year and asked him if he had something he would want to be would do. And he's like, no, I've been, <laughs> I've been here for five years. I'm ready to move on type of thing. Tyler's been, this, this is year number four for him. Brad stuck around. I think Brad never thought he was going to play professionally and he was just going to go into coaching right away. And obviously that, is not what has played out because he had a pretty darn good senior year and um is now playing professionally overseas but tyler probably can do that whenever he wants to and if you i mean you look at the lineup potentially have everyone coming back maybe you want to make another run with this group we'll see i mean again this there's what two months left in the season uh i mean less a little bit less than two months left in the season there's a lot of things that can happen in that time period um, that could uh, make that decision for him or or maybe say hey nope I'm I'm ready to go type of thing we'll see he also asked how do you think the Gus bus is going to factor in
1: factor into the lineup or yeah next yeah next year oh boy that's a really hard question I don't know um, I really it's don't big you, be, the, right the, uh, so he'll certainly have a chance based on what the roster looks like right now but it's Really hard to have the answer to this before somebody even gets on campus and you can see what it looks like in practice or or the first couple of games. But I think he'll have every opportunity. Absolutely.
0: All right, let's get into this yearly debate that we have. It usually happens right around this time, right when the <laughs> students the students aren't back. It's about this time that this argument happens all the time, where people at home yell at people at the game for not cheering loud enough, even though they're not at the game. That type of stuff. But either way, Matt's uh, Matt sent me this, and he said it's a DM. It was long. I'm not going to read the entire thing. Um, he gave me permission not to do that, so I'm, I'm not going to. But he said, uh, what is wrong with the Kohl Center crowd, and how can it be fixed? You've been asked this before, and I know you guys don't love this question, but it's awful. I have a tough time finding a quieter arena in the Big Ten. Penn State Northwestern are probably, probably quieter. Can't think of another one. Maybe one or two games a year, the crowd actually is into it. That's about it. He said he went to a Minnesota game, and it was about half full, and it was louder than the Kohl Center's been. All year he don't think it's he doesn't think it's asking a lot to want the fans to act like they want to be at the arena
1: oh man there's so many <laughs> directions this question could go and we do get this every year and he made a point which i agree with that there are a couple times a year where the cole center is absolutely rocking and it is good it is as good as any place in the country in my opinion i think of the purdue game last year right a massive game top five opponent big 10 regular season title is on the line. Those are the ones that stick out that are super memorable, but, and I, I I say this probably once a year too. I grew up in Kansas. I went to KU games. There are very few venues like that, where it is, it's like going to a Mecca of basketball and it's going to be like that for basically every game where it's just total insanity. It doesn't matter if it's South Dakota state. Um, it's not like that at, at most places. And I would put Wisconsin in that category. And what can you do about it? I don't know that you can do anything about it. I think especially in an ever-changing landscape where it's tougher and tougher to convince people to actually go to the games because you've got big screen TVs and it's way more comfortable at home. I just I mean, other than saying everyone gets free beer, I don't really know what you can do. And we've had some of these same discussions about football, too, and students not always showing up and things like that. but this is kind of what Wisconsin is. And I think it's certainly as, as far as the Cole center goes and and the fan base and the passion is the envy of a lot of fan bases. And yet at the same time, it's never going to be where you get a January game against Penn state, like this, a Penn state team that hasn't won here in 27 years or whatever. And it's going to be raucous like it is for a Wisconsin, Minnesota game, or when the ACC big 10 challenge comes and Duke is here and North Carolina is here. This is just kind of how it is. And I am not I've, you know, maybe that's not what people want to hear. Of the learn to accept it, but I think we've seen this for long enough to know that at Wisconsin and it, with with the basketball program, um, this is what the fan base is. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, and if you disagree, that's totally fine. But I just think, the, from from my perspective, um, not a lot of venues are going to be absolutely insane for every game.
0: I I completely agree with it. The thing that is, I think probably. Get to be popping up here as we get into football season this fall because I, I think Camp Randall can be a tough place to play, but it's it's kind of similar to the Kohl center where you know it's not necessarily loud when it's not a big time game, right yeah. um, I think we can agree with that. I think that's going to change this year. I think that I think the excitement around the program, the excitement created by what is happening here is going to lead to a better environment in the stadium. I don't I'm not going to necessarily guarantee that. But based on what we've seen in terms of people's excitement around it, and the people that want to be involved in it, and the people that want to talk about it, and the people want to know everything about it, I think that may change, and we'll we'll see what happens later this year. So I think it's not something that can't change, but I don't think it's something that's going to change. Um, it's not something that's going to change if with the way that Wisconsin plays basketball right now. I, that's and that sounds like I'm knocking them, and I'm not. They play winning basketball. They do um they've played winning basketball for 20 plus seasons now uh and they've done it in a way that a lot of people don't so you have to admire that it's not always necessarily the most pleasing uh style of basketball and so i think at times that has led to some issues you go back to the 2014-15 season the way that they played there was a lot i think the excitement around the program and obviously it was that team was a top 5 team in the country so it's a little bit different but the way that they played led to a little bit more excitement within the building. This team is not going to be that you have to play the way that you're going to win games. And this is how they're going to win games. It is not necessarily always going to be the most exciting thing ever. I don't know if that's fair or not to say, but that's kind of where my mind's at. And I don't think I they've tried many things to change it. And I know people like, put the students around the court. I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening at this point. Again, I'm not going to say never to anything after what happened with the football program in the last few months, but i don't see that happen so i don't know what the other i don't know what the answer is otherwise do you i don't no
1: i i don't i think you're spot on um but the other thing is I don't know that drastically altering the style of play and bringing in a new regime and you play 40 minutes of hell where you're full court pressing, like, is that suddenly going to lead to more people showing up? And just because you do that doesn't mean you're going to win as much as, as Wisconsin has. And again, of course not one Big Ten. They've won two Big Ten regular season championships, but I do understand yeah. it. It's it's a difficult balance to strike because it, it's easy to say, like, well, the, the style of play is not the most pleasing and therefore fans aren't showing up, but I don't necessarily know. You're going to get more fans automatically if you do something drastically different. And I mean, the 2014-15 team, it, it's it's different to me in as you illustrated, like people knew going into that season that was going to be a really special team and something that you might be talking about for a long time. It's different when you've got a top five team that is a national title contender and and a team that, you know, is is around the top twenty-five and is still a very good team, but isn't going to put 80 or 90 points on you in a given game. So the point is, I don't necessarily see it changing, and I can understand why wow, that that may be frustrating to some people. um uh, look, if you're if you're a fan and you want to go to the games, then absolutely you should go and enjoy it. Um, but it's you've been around if you're a fan enough to know that those special environments are reserved for the special games, otherwise, it just feels like any other game. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. um, but that's just how it is.
0: I think that the what a lot of people see is whether it's at Michigan state or whether it's uh, Purdue or Indiana, or there are a lot of really good environments in the big Mm 10. And so it just, I think maybe it also kind of just stands out that at Wisconsin, it's not always like that. And I, again, I don't think that's going to change it. And I don't think necessarily it's ever been different. I don't uh, don't know. Maybe when they first started coming up and they started, you know, playing a lot of winning basketball in the early two thousands. And obviously I know what, you know, what, they were doing in the early nineties with Stu Jackson and, and that group. And then, you know, to going to the final four, but when they started winning consistently winning big 10 titles and you have a personality like bow on the bench, you know, that people were th- some of those games and maybe it's revisionist history. It felt like every time you went, there was some excitement to it and that the, the, there was some really good crowds. Now I'm probably misremembering that and that's fine. I was drunk a lot of that time. So um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie about that those games. Yeah. Those games are a little bit fuzzy. So uh, I don't know. I, we talk about this every year. No one has, a, no one has a solution and it just, just is what it is. You, 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 you mentioned, you know, more people come to the game. It, the place wasn't empty. It was actually, I mean, I I don't know how many the, the announce was, but there had to have been like 13 or 14,000 people there, if yeah. not a little yeah. bit more.
1: So yeah. Yeah. it's, yeah. it's not like they yeah. weren't there the announced was 14,236 and yeah. it's a massive venue that's the other thing that's worth mentioning it seats it's over 17,000 people not a not a lot of places have uh seating of that capacity
0: yeah and it's not like they're right on top of the action right it's uh it's an M- it you know it turned 25 years old it's an nba arena I mean that's, that's what essentially what it was when it was built i mean it's it, it is it's not it's not conducive it's not like the field house and thank God it's not because the field house, while obviously quaint and nice for a game or two here and there, um, the the Center center's much much better facility. But it's not like there wasn't anybody there, but the juice wasn't there and and that's just what it that's just what it is. Um I will say people complaining about it from their couches is always kinda of a little bit funny to me. <laughs> like if if it was and, and I don't think Matt's the Matt who asked the question is actually lives in Madison. I think he lives in the it doesn't live in town, so I'm not going. I'm not. This is not a shot at him, but people that come after people on Twitter for not cheering loud enough, and they live in Madison, you can't really do that. I don't think. And I shouldn't say you can't do it. You can do all whatever you want, but it's kind of funny to me. Uh, you could go and and change that if you wanted to. You could be one of the people in the building cheering and making it a, a good environment if you wanted to. And and if you don't want to, that's fine. But I don't think it's one of those things that you can go then and complain about. I don't know. Um, again, Airpoint. I'm not going to. Not telling people how to fan. I will never tell people how to fan. Um, I just find it a little bit funny at times. All right. Let's uh let's close with this. Jeff says six more wins to a tournament berth, right? Ten and ten in league play with non conference wins should get it done. So what would Ooh, that make them?
1: Eighteen, 18 and, and eleven. 11? Now that's pre 11? Big Ten tournament. Yeah. I that's tough. <laughs> I mean, right. I'm sitting here looking at the net rankings, which of course, it's obligatory. We must bring this up. There's sixty five Six. in, in those rankings. Um again, that will go up if Maybe. Wisconsin can secure <laughs> well if if Wisconsin can secure some wins against these big ten teams that are that are higher up there, but they're two and three against quad one opponents right now. and most of their wins, quad three and quad four, six and O against those teams. So I wouldn't say it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what 10 and 10 will ultimately be in the big 10. Like if you're in the top six, that's pretty darn good. But I'm just saying, I wouldn't say it's an absolute slam dunk. If you're 18 and 11 with a net ranking in the fifties or sixties, you got to do something a little bit more. So
0: yeah, going they'd have and a chance. Seven, not yeah. I mean, six and seven, isn't great.
1: Yeah. Right? So, if they can get like to me, the magic number is always like 20 wins, but um, which I think they're very much capable of. That's the other thing. I don't necessarily believe that their Big Ten record right now is indicative of of, of what they will be, knowing what this team is with Tyler Wall in the lineup. I mean, are they 0 3 if Wall is in that lineup? I probably one and,
0: probably one and it, two.
1: Yeah, maybe. Uh, but that <laughs> that but that one it makes a hell of a lot of a difference between eighteen and uh, eighteen and eleven and like nineteen and ten going into the Big Ten tournament.
0: Um, as we're sitting here talking, they're scheduled to play Northwestern on Saturday. That's unlikely to happen. Northwestern has some reportedly has some COVID issues within their program that forced them to uh, postpone their game Wednesday against Iowa. I don't know when that North Northwestern game. Uh, will be played at some point the rest of the year, but they have Maryland home to Illinois at Ohio state in their next three. What's their record? Oh
1: man. <laughs> Cause you're
0: looking at, I mean, when you look at those teams, Illinois has won four straight since, I mean, they started and three in conference and won four straight, including one over Wisconsin, but you have Ohio state sitting there at two and five in the conference and Maryland at two and four. Yeah. It would be ideal to grab a win or two, uh, or or three in the stretch, if because uh, it, it gets harder the longer they go on here.
1: I'll say I'll say two and one. Ohio State's lost five straight games right now. Um, you got to grab a couple of these wins at this stage. I mean, it's it's such a logjam in the Big Ten right now, and despite losing three straight games, Wisconsin is sitting here in a four way tie. For fourth place. So there's a lot on the line and a lot at stake. If you can go on even a little mini run here, put yourself in position for, I mean, the double buy is still in play. I know we, we've got 13 conference games left, but this is an important stretch for Wisconsin. And so two and one, you put yourself in pretty decent shape. Three and oh, obviously, uh, you feel pretty darn good about yourself.
0: The number three team in the conference, Michigan, has four wins. The number 12 team, no, the number 10 team, And Nebraska has three wins in conference. So one win, and and obviously Nebraska has quite a few more losses, but one win separates third from tenth at this point in the conference. Uh, It is a jumble of just a mess right there in the middle. What seed do you think they're going to be? It was another question we got. And uh, right now, Joe Lenardi has a 10 seed. That was prior to the Penn State win. Uh, SI put out their first one today. They have Wisconsin as one of the, last four buys which makes them an 11 seed so according to these people slightly on the bubble at this point um so would a six and seven finish uh keep them in the tournaments uh i guess we'll see but you're right 20 is kind of the magic number if they can get there they should be good uh obviously should be good to go uh in this conference because that would be finishing what 12 and 8
1: yeah or even if you're 11 9 and and win your first big 10 tournament game that that should be enough.
0: Yeah. So uh, we will we'll see uh, how this plays out again. Wisconsin uh, was scheduled to play Northwestern. We'll see uh, what their schedule is. But right now, I believe the next game will be Maryland on the road uh, next week. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about uh, it and anything else that uh, is happening. Jesse, thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Zach.
0: All right. There he is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Swing.